Uh, let's read it together. First Samuel uh, 28, uh, beginning at verse uh, 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him, and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself, put on other clothes, and he went. And two men with him, and they came to the woman by night and said, please conduct a seance for me. And bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up. Samuel for me. Now, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up. And he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? That's what I say to my kids on Sunday afternoons. <laughs> and Saul answered, I am deeply distressed. For the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. And Samuel said, so why do you ask me? Seeing that the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand. He's given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please, heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat 
that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him. And he finally heeded their voice, arose from the ground, sat on the bed. And the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Well, verse 2 of this chapter two weeks ago left us on a cliffhanger. Uh, David, after living duplicitously in the land of the Philistines for 16 months, is being asked by the king of the Philistines to assist him in going to war against David's own people, Israel. Now, if you missed that message from two weeks ago, you'll have to go back and watch it yourself in order to understand why David is even in this position that he's in. But the situation became very clear at the beginning of chapter 28. If David refuses to go and fight against Israel, he's a dead man by the hand of King Achish, king of the Philistines. If he chooses to go or chooses not to go, he's a dead man by the hand of Israel. Either way, he's a dead man. And just when we're ready to see what David is going to do, the author in great suspense, quickly directs our attention to King Saul, which is where we are tonight, beginning of verse 3, and it's where we will have to continue to be and wait until we get to chapter 29 before we see how David deals with this predicament that he himself is in with, with King Achish. So for the rest of the chapter, the spotlight shifts from David to Saul. It's as if the author is saying, if you think David's situation is bad, wait till you see Saul's situation. Because while David is over here living duplicitously, putting himself in this corner, Saul has also seen his lowest moment. And so let's, let's work through this t- together as we consider that thought, the end is near. And when I say the end is near, I'm talking about for King Saul. The end for King Saul is near. Write down number one there in your notes, Saul is in desperation mode. That's the first thing that we note from our chapter. Saul is in desperation mode. And the reason for Saul's desperation and despondency is three reasons. The first reason, (coughs) Austin, can you give me some water? Do you mind, please? Thank you. It's underneath. All right. Thank you. Sorry about that. The first reason is because the Philistines have once again gathered to go to war against Israel. All right, this is the first problem. Look at verse number four. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Now, we don't have time to do a geography lesson here, but it would appear at the layout that the Philistines are approaching Israel in a divide and conquer scenario. The fact that we see them here at Shunem and also other locations while Israel is at Gilboa. 
Gilboa, it, it gives off the geographical layout that Israel, for the first time with the Philistines, is, is trapped. The, the Philistines have an advantage. And Saul's response to this advantage, his response to their strategy against Israel, is that he's, he's fallen apart. He, he's, he's, he's dumbfounded. He doesn't have a clue, a good handle on how to fight the Philistines' new strategy. And so the Bible says he's afraid. His heart is trembling greatly because the Philistines at this moment have the upper hand. Which leads to a second reason for him to be so desperate and despondent. And that is Samuel had died. Samuel had died. Verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. Now why is that significant? Well, Saul had not had any significant contact with Samuel since the day Samuel had announced that God had rejected Saul from being Israel's king. You can study that again back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, where Samuel told Saul that God had torn the kingdom from him and had given it to someone who is better than he. And we know that to be David. And there you see this whole interaction, even Saul pleading and begging with Samuel not to leave him to the point that he actually tears the robe, he tears the mantle that Samuel was wearing, which was symbolic in and of itself. It was symbolic of the fact that God was tearing apart the kingdom that Saul was reigning. Now, Samuel and Saul have not had any interaction since that point. However, it appears here that the death of Samuel seems to have put a piercing wound in the soul of Saul. Whatever chance he may have had to repair this relationship with Samuel was now gone. It's over. He'll never be able to mend it. He'll always remember in 1 Samuel 15 of his last encounter and interaction with the prophet. Not to mention that the now absence of Samuel meant an absence of intercession to God on behalf of Israel. Particularly in this impending warfare against the Philistines. Because what do we see so often? We see that Saul going to Samuel, Samuel then going to God, praying and interceding, asking for wisdom for both Saul and the people. Now that's gone. And so Saul is in this situation where the Philistines have an upper hand on him. Their strategy against him is one that he's yet to see. He's trapped. The person he would normally go to is now dead. And then we see, to cap it all off, a third reason why he is so desperate and despondent. is not only the Philistines have gathered to go to war, Samuel's died, but I wrote down number three. God is not speaking to Saul at all. God is not speaking to Saul at all. Look at verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Saul calls out to God, and God does not answer. 
He does not answer by dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. And so what we see here is that God's silence is noted in three distinct respects. One, Saul is not hearing from God via the prophets. Now, why is he not hearing from God via the prophets? Because Samuel's dead. And so there's no prophet of God, no Samuel coming to Saul and giving him a message from God. Secondly, he notes here that Saul is not hearing from God by the Urim. And again, I don't have time to remind you about the the Urim, but the Urim was the means by which the priest would discern God's direction. It's what they used to get God's guidance. And why isn't he able to hear from God through the Urim? Because it was Saul who slaughtered all the priests back in Nob. First Samuel 22 it was. Remember Doeg the Edomite. They go and raid the city of Nob. And Saul looks at his men. He says, I want you to kill all 85 of them. And their wives and their children don't leave anybody behind. His old man said, that's foolish. I'm not doing that. And then he looks at Doeg and he says, didn't you do it, Doeg? Doeg didn't mind. He wasn't an Israelite. He was an Edomite. He took pleasure. He was his hitman, his strong arm. And so Saul commanded Doeg. Doeg goes and does Saul's dirty work. He kills 85 priests. Only one priest escaped, and he's with David, Abathar. So there's no Urim because Saul killed all the priests. There's no prophet. Samuel's dead. And now Saul is not hearing from God by dreams, a way in which God would sometimes communicate during this period of time in which Scripture was not complete. The point is this. God is completely silent. And although that was not a new experience for Saul necessarily, it certainly magnified his desperation in what is the greatest crisis of his life. Saul is utterly alone. Alone. For those of you who will get to your First Chronicles reading and your Bible reading this year, when you get there here in a couple of months, you might think when you get to First Chronicles chapter 10 that there is a contradiction here. Because let me read to you First Chronicles chapter 10 and verse 13. I think it's important that we address these issues so that when you're studying the Bible that you're able to think through these things and figure them out for yourselves. 1 Chronicles chapter 10 and verse 13, speaking of this scenario, here's what the Bible says. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Why did I bring this to your attention? Because in 1 Samuel chapter 28, it appears that Saul is inquiring of the Lord and God's not speaking. But 1 Chronicles chapter 10 tells us that Saul did not inquire of the Lord. And because he did not inquire of the Lord, that's why God didn't speak or in this case took, took him out. And what may seemingly be a contradiction Let me help you tonight understand that there is no contradiction here. 
Because when you look at these puzzling passages of Scripture, you have to look at it through the realm of the whole Bible, the scope and character of who God is. And what does the Bible say about God in Isaiah 55? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So there's a caveat here, right? Call upon him while you can. Seek him while you can. Pray while you can. For Saul, he has sought God too little over the course of his reign. And now he has sought God too late. And that is why one passage says he didn't inquire of the Lord. He didn't inquire of the Lord throughout his reign. And the moment that he finally decides he wants to inquire of the Lord, it's too late. Too little, too late. So the question is, what's Saul going to do? Well, that's right down number two here as we continue on through the passage. Secondly, Saul disguises himself and consults a medium. So we see, first of all, Saul is, he is despondent. He is in desperation mode. God is not speaking So now he decides to disguise himself and consult a medium. Look at verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. Saul is essentially saying, look, if if I can't hear from God, then I'll, I'll go somewhere else. I'll go to the dark side. I'll go somewhere where someone will talk to me. Tell me what I need to do. It's a sad place that Saul has gotten to. Here is a man who has found himself without God and no hope in this world. And now he finds that perhaps his only place of hope is a medium. Now, God's commands about consulting mediums and psychics have been very clear to Israel. Let me read a couple of them. I don't have time to go through all of them, and there are many of them. Leviticus 19.31, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And there are a host of other scriptures like that. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 19 says, and when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, Who whisper and mutter. I love that phrase that Isaiah throws in there. He says, when they tell you to go see a psychic or a medium or a wizard, who who all they do is whisper and mutter, by the way. They never speak to you anything that's true and clear. It's muttering. It's whispering. He says, when they tell you to do that, don't you think you should seek your God? Don't don't seek them. Seek your God who is clear. Seek your God who will direct you. Seek your God who has the answers. For why should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? And it is a sad reality without going on a tangent this evening about this sort of thing that many people turn to those who mutter rather than turning to the God who is clear. I'll leave that there for you to discern and determine. But these things need to be reiterated to our own children. How important it is 
that we go to the source who is clear and true in his direction and guidance over our lives. The other observation here is that Saul is now turning to the very ones that he had put out of the kingdom. I don't know if you noticed that when we read the text at the beginning in just a moment, but there's this odd placement in verse 3. Like we haven't even got here to the context yet. And there's this odd phrase in verse 3. Look look at it there. All the way back to the top, verse 3. After it tells us Samuel had died, then, then it says, and Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. He's already kicked these psychics out of town. Yet the irony here is that his servants seem to know exactly where to find them. Because when he says, go find me one, they immediately respond to Saul's desire. Look at what they say there. The very, in fact, there is a woman, there is a woman, verse 8, there is a woman who's a medium at Endor. How did they know that? It seems like there's some kind of internal conspiracy here going on that Saul may have, from a political standpoint, you know, theatrics, as our politicians like to do. Let's put them out, but it seems like he knows where to find them, at least as men do. They know where she is. And so Saul disguises himself. He takes two men with him, and in the middle of the night, they go to find this medium. Now, he's disguising himself for two reasons. One, as we've already mentioned, he's going against his own edict. He's the one who kicked them out of the land. So he's violating his own edict. Secondly, now think about this. Endor, geographically, was located just beyond Shunem, which is exactly where the host of the Philistine army are gathered at this very moment. So this is a very risky move on Saul's part. Not only is he violating his own edict, he's violating the command of God in the sight of Israel by even consulting these psychics. And he has to finagle his way around Shunem, which is where the enemy army that wants to take him out is located, even to go and find her. This is very, very risky. But he does it anyway. And upon arrival, he requests that she perform a seance for him to bring back someone who has died. And without rereading all the verses, you'll remember at first the woman refused to do it because of the king's eating. She didn't even know it was Saul, which again is another ironic move here. Because she doesn't know who this man is, but yet she is reminding this man, who happens to be Saul, of his own rule. Why are you putting me in this position? I, I can't do this thing for you. Don't you know that, call, that Saul has kicked us out of the land? And if I, if I do this thing, you're, you're going to kill me. You've put me in a trap. You've given me a snare. But then Saul swore an oath to her on the name of God. Yeah, the same God who's not speaking to him. He swore an oath to her on the name of God that she would not be punished for helping him. And then Saul requests her to bring up Samuel's spirit from the dead. Now, this is where it gets very interesting because when the medium saw the spirit, I want you to see this for yourself. Look at it there in verse 12. When the medium goes through this seance, calls for the spirit to come, when she sees the spirit, the Bible says, verse 12, that she cried out with a loud voice. Do you know what that means? 
<laughs> what is that? What is that? She's scared. She, she's afraid. It's as if she's never seen anything like this before. She even needs Saul to identify who the Spirit is. Look at what it says there in verse 13. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. Now, wait a minute. You're supposed to be a professional medium. You're supposed to consult all of these dead spirits all the time. And now you're, 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 you're crazy afraid, and it's the king, Saul, whom you don't realize yet, is the one telling you not to be afraid. So he says, don't be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, look at it there in verse 13. I saw, I saw, a, uh, 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 it, it was a, uh, 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 I've never seen anything like it before. It was a, uh, uh, it was a ghost. It was a ghost, a, a spirit. And Saul's like, I got that much of it. What was this form? What, what, who was it? I understand you saw something that scared you, but, but who was it? And she said it was an old man covered in a robe, covered in a mantle, and immediately Saul perceived that it was Samuel. I bring that to your attention because this is the challenge of this passage. Did she truly have dark powers? Or was she a charlatan? If she did have dark powers and frequently performed such realities, then why was she so surprised? And then why did she have to rely on Saul to identify the spirit? Well, are you ready? Listen. The Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say. Doesn't want you to know. And I think this is very, very important about anything that we study in the Bible. We cannot allow our curiosity about things to lead us to miss the point of the passage. The point of the passage is Saul is run from God. He's losing the kingdom. He is a reprobate. He's going to die the next day. God is not speaking to him. That's the point of the passage. And it's very dangerous, church family, to draw wooden conclusions about this when the Bible has not drawn wooden conclusions for us. It's the simple reality of any passage of Scripture that we study. We are not, get, look right here, we are not given an explanation because the Bible doesn't want you to have an explanation. You're not supposed to understand it. And neither am I. I'm going to help some of you study your Bibles better when you learn to accept the fact that there is a whole host of mysteries about God that you'll never know on this earth. And instead of continuing to buy books about it, you need to just sit back with the rest of us and realize God just doesn't want me to know that. And that's true about any passage in the Scripture where explanations are not given. Now, you want, you want my opinion? 
My, my, my opinion is, is that her dark powers, whether she had them or not, are irrelevant. They're irrelevant to the story. Because what I think happened here is I think the Lord did this. I think the Lord sent Samuel to Saul that very night, just as he did on a different occasion when he sent Moses and Elijah to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. There was a message that God wanted Saul to get. And so regardless of the medium, whether the Lord used it or not, doesn't matter. God made Samuel appear, and I believe he really appeared. Because the Bible doesn't give us any other boundary for understanding it any differently. Speak where the Bible speaks, stay silent where the Bible is silent. The main things are the plain things, and plain things are the main things. He came. I believe God's responsible for it. And whether the medium had any role in it or not, it doesn't matter because God doesn't want you to matter, be, be caught up in it. So, so look at the conversation. I've got to close this down. Look at verse 15. Now Samuel said to Saul, I love this. <laughs> Why have you disturbed me from bringing me up? I was doing just fine taking my nap until you called me up. And Saul answered, I'm deeply distressed. The Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. I have called you that you can reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, why are you asking me? Don't you already know that the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done for himself just as he spoke by me. Remember Samuel or Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand. He's given it to your neighbor David because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you today. In other words, Samuel's saying, nothing's changed, Saul. You want to know from me what's going on. Look, nothing's changed. It's still the same message that I told you from our perspective back in 1 Samuel chapter 15. God has torn the kingdom from you. And the reason why you're not hearing from you is because, Saul, it's over. Why are you so surprised? God is doing what he said he was going to do. It's over, Saul. There's nothing more to say. Then comes the death knell in verse 19. Samuel continues. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. That had to be tough to hear. But what he says next nearly destroyed him. Look at it. And tomorrow, Saul, this is Samuel speaking, you and your sons will be with me. You're going to be with me. And where is Samuel? Dead. Dead as a doornail, smalls. over. Saul, tomorrow, tomorrow you're going to die. 
Write down number three, Saul is distressed by the news that the end has come. Saul is distressed by the news that the end has come. You know, it's difficult to find the language to describe the depths to which Saul has now fallen. Verse 20 says that Saul was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. Dreadfully afraid. Dreadfully afraid. The once mighty Saul now lays on the ground in front of this medium as a weak and helpless man. Of course, the woman along with Saul's servants, they beg him to eat something. And after a little bit of back and forth, he finally listens. He pulls himself off the floor, sits on the side of a bed, distraught, distressed, and at the lowest point of his entire life. And she goes and kills this fatted calf and prepares him this this, this huge meal for him to eat before he journeys back to Gilboa. And to me, that is such an anticlimactic point to this, this whole scene. Because this woman goes and prepares a meal, watch this, fit for a king. That she ends up serving to a man who is not fit to be king. picture shows us the reality of what happens when a person disregards God. When you inquire of him too little, too late. We've already referenced this already. You find it in Ephesians chapter 2. It's an appropriate way to describe Saul. He's, he's a man who has no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope and without God. What a sad, sad scene. So he finishes his meal, he and the two men, and they leave. Now, there is a mistake you can make if you're not careful. You and I can begin to think that we are quite detached from all of this. That we are better than or not quite as stupid as. Or maybe even deserving of better than Saul. And of course we'd be wrong to think that way. For all of us have the propensity to live our whole lives in disregard to the voice of God. To only wake up looking back being totally abandoned by Him. That's why it is important as we have read and rehearsed and preached all through our study of Samuel as well as the book of Hebrews, the mighty invitation of God's word. Today, if you can hear his voice, harden not your heart as in rebellion. Today, today, that's what Samuel preached to Saul all those years. 
Today, Saul. Today, Saul. If you can hear the voice of God, don't harden your heart, Saul, as a rebel. Listen to him. Serve him. Obey him. And now we look at the end of his life. And we see the fruits of one who does not hear and who does not heed the voice of God. But the message remains true to us. Today, tonight, if you can hear the voice of God in your soul, heed it. Follow it. Obey it and do not harden it for the hard heart will be discovered by God as the absent heart. So listen to the voice of God. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And trust him. Everything he wants you to know is right there in front of you. In the gift and grace of his word. Let's stand together for prayer.